0: one more week in John chapter 13. Last week, we talked about, and, and, I, and I hope you've been able to sort of just meditate on this over the course of this week, about how Jesus models to us what we call the non-anxious presence, a presence that comes to us in the midst of perhaps the chaos and in the midst of perhaps all the things that might cause us to be anxious. Jesus doesn't come and react to that, but he brings his, his non-anxious presence to us. He calls us into a different way of being, but not by motivating us by guilt or reaction, but by love. So at some level, and I hope you feel this, as we read this story over the course of the three weeks that we've spent in it, the story becomes something of almost an acted parable. On one hand, we confess that this story is part of the life and narrative of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion, but on the other hand, we also realize this story has depth to us that he's calling us to behave in different ways. But the parable is a little difficult for us, and it was difficult for the apostles on that first night. Notice Jesus says to them, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And this is a scene you've seen perhaps regularly in the life of Jesus where Jesus behaves some way, and people are not quite sure they're tracking with why is Jesus behaving the way that he's behaving. And then later, some people come to understand, some people don't. I always find these texts deeply liberating as I sometimes read about Jesus and go, "Mm, I'm not quite sure I understand what's happening here. It makes me feel better, at least, that even around Jesus, people didn't always understand exactly what was happening. But I love this word, know, in in this sentence here. You do not know now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Because if you remember when Tyson read the text for us right at the beginning, we found this fascinating sort of intro where it says, Jesus knew that the hour was coming right? So, he knew that his crucifixion was approaching, but also Jesus knew that the Father had given all power to him, that all things were in his hand, but the disciples did not know what was happening. So, one person knows what's going on, the other, other group of people do not seem to know what is going on. And I think it's fascinating that Jesus' knowledge... His awareness of the power that is upon him, his awareness of his place within the plan of God for for all people leads him to a place of serving, that his clarity of knowledge, his understanding, the revelation of God that he has causes him to serve. We've said it every week, but I want to say it again. Look at this beautiful theme of he knew that all things were in his hand. He knew that he had all power, so he served. There's a direct A to B between the power and the knowledge and Jesus serving. Now, if you've been reading other Gospels, you may not be entirely surprised by this revelation. Jesus' sees words in Mark chapter 10 and verse 35 the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, what a stunning passage to think about. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That God Himself is present amongst us and His behavior with us. It's not that we would serve him, but that he would serve us. And and thinking about Jesus' words here, and then the actions that we see in John chapter 13, sort of leans us back to the question I gave you as homework last week, if you remember. I asked you to meditate over the course of the week on this question, why does Peter object to Jesus washing his feet? What's Peter got against this scene that's going on? And I think there's a tendency amongst us to think that Peter's problem is that he doesn't like seeing Jesus doing this work. It feels wrong to see his master washing feet. Jesus is, the, is in charge. He should be not doing this, this sort of servant work from that time period. And it's interesting to note that modern writers on this passage, be they commentators or, or book writers, they seem to focus on this. Now, this appears like it's not, we're not comfortable seeing Jesus in this sort of position, that Peter's not comfortable seeing Jesus on his knees. He's not comfortable on Jesus washing his feet. And I'm curious as to why it is that that's what the modern writers seem to fixate on, that, that Peter is really trying to stop Jesus doing something he thinks is beneath him. But this is interesting to me because if that is what's going on, why does Peter wait until Jesus arrives at his feet to make that objection. Now, we know a little bit about Peter because he's represented throughout the biblical narrative uh, of of, of Jesus anyway. And one of the things we know about Peter is he is not shy at inserting himself into a situation uninvited. If Peter has an an opinion, he's happy to share it, sometimes by swinging a sword in your general vicinity. Uh, You know, Peter, if you're not listening properly, will take your ear. (laughs) And so for Peter to have a problem with Jesus in this particular role, but wait until Jesus gets to him to express that problem, although that seems to be how we as moderns like to read the text, is slightly problematic. Because if Peter's problem is is what Jesus is doing, why not say it straight away? But he waits until he gets to him. Now, St. John in, the, in his original language kind of helps us see a little bit of the, the exchange slightly differently. In the, the way this sort of original conversation between Jesus and Peter goes, it's a little clunky, uh, but it, it sort of works in three short questions. Peter actually says to Jesus, Lord, you of me wash the feet. It's a really strange little sentence which is broken up almost into these three questions which helps us see a little bit of the emphasis that's going on. That Peter's like, wait a minute, you are gonna do this to me? There's a sense in which, okay, yeah, those others, (laughs) yeah, you can wash their feet, they probably need it, right? You know, Lord, you know, Lord, please point out my neighbor sins to my neighbor. You know that—that that sort of that sort of prayer. Like, I'm okay, Jesus. If you point out that they have issues, but me, you're going to do this to me. You're going to wash my feet, Jesus. Now we know that Jesus is going to say to Peter in a few minutes' time, "You don't really understand what's going on here." So we're going to we're going to hold and believe that that's the situation that Peter doesn't really understand what's going on because Jesus says it. So that's um, gospel, right? No. But I wonder if Peter does know something. And the ancient commentators, the church fathers and the early church writers on this text, they, they look at this text slightly differently. And they pick up on this realization that Peter only starts objecting when it comes to him. And although Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is doing, although he's not aware of all of the depth of what Jesus is doing in this moment, what Peter does know is this, is that when Jesus does things, He invariably is doing them for a reason, but also to model to us a different way of being. So, although Peter doesn't understand why Jesus is washing his feet, he does know that the implications of this action are, if I let Jesus wash my feet, he's going to call me to do the same. And I wonder if, like many of us, Peter just doesn't like that. It's like, actually, Jesus, if you do this to me, I know what that means, and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. Is Peter okay with Jesus washing his feet? Is he even okay with Jesus washing everyone else's feet? But is he not okay with the realization that if this is the way of Jesus, I must now wash their feet? I've got to do something different as a result of it. You don't understand, says Jesus to Peter. And how often would that be Jesus' words to me? You don't understand what's going on here, Peter. And as as I think about this, I wonder, what do I not understand? If the gospel is also speaking to me, if the gospel is also Jesus' words to me in this moment, what do I not understand? What do I not understand about serving? What do I not, like, do I have a faulty view of serving? See, my view of serving, and I wonder if you would relate to this, I have this sort of inherent brokenness, but let me own it as my own, where when I think about serving, I tend to think about it as something that I condescend to do, I tend to think that I have my things I do, and then when I'm serving, I'm kind of helping out. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm doing it because, you know, it's a good thing to do. And I see, like, here's the things I do, and then here's me serving, right? And I wonder how many of us, particularly with our cultural background that that we come from, if you've grown up in the West, sort of think about things that way. As you progress through life, you get better at things, you carry more responsibility at things, you get further and further away from serving. And serving becomes something that you do to show that you're a good person. You know, like, oh, isn't it great that the boss came and helped us wash the cars today or or, or something like that. We, we We sort of enact something by serving but intrinsic to that inaction is we're kind of stooping down to do it. We see serving as condescension. I wonder if that's how many of us see it. Yet you don't see that in Jesus in this particular moment. Knowing that God had put all power in his hands, he washes the disciples' feet. It kind of goes A to B. If he's all-powerful, the writer almost wants you to see if he's all-powerful, then it's kind of obvious he's gonna do this. And yet we would step back and go, this is not obvious at all. This is not what all-power, like like I have a list of things I would do if I was all-powerful, do you? Yeah, some of you are all in on it. No, I'm only joking. (laughs) But you have that list, don't you? Like You hear it, it comes up in conversation. If I was God for a day, and we have the things that we would sort out and we would put right. Jesus knew he had all power, so he washes 11, oh, sorry, 12 at this point, 12 disciples' feet. Like, I wonder how many of us that would be on our list. Like, if I was all-powerful, man, I would sort out those weeds in my neighbor's yard. You know, if I was all-powerful, man, would I clean the floor? Man, would I clean the floor. It would be a clean floor. It's probably not on your list. It's not on my list, I'll tell you what, you know. There's a, my list of if I was all-powerful is far closer to Jafar in Aladdin, that great biblical movie, than, than what I'm seeing here in John chapter 13. But John seems to want us to know, and Jesus definitely wants us to know, that this is what leadership and power looks like. In the way of Jesus, this is an obvious connection. All-powerful, washing feet. So Jesus is trying to teach us that if we want to follow in his way, we have to see the connection between his service and his authority. You don't understand, Peter. You don't understand that serving is not beneath you. You don't understand that serving is not a condescension. Peter, you don't understand that this is what power now looks like. And by the way, you need to know this, Peter, because shortly, in a little while's time, Jesus is gonna be crucified, and it's gonna look to everybody like Jesus was beaten, but it was actually the victory. In in a a few hours' time, Jesus is gonna hang on a cross as the victorious savior of the world, but to everybody gathered round, it's gonna look exactly the opposite of that. So right now, Jesus on his knees doesn't look like a leader, but you don't understand, Peter, that everything's changing when you follow Jesus. Because for Jesus, this is his purpose. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You don't understand, Peter. Later you will, though. And what a beautiful statement, by the way, for all of us to hear. You don't understand, but later you will. Jesus is like, give it time, Peter. It's gonna make sense to you. You're gonna come round to this way of thinking. But it's beautiful in that because there's an invitation for us to trust There's an invitation for us to go. I don't understand what Jesus is doing right now. But Jesus doesn't say, so go stand in the corner, Peter, until you figured it out, right? Here's your homework. You know, here's your books. Here's your revision. Go back and listen to all my old podcasts. Jesus says to Peter, you know, episode four and season two was a good one. You know, Jesus doesn't do any of that to Peter. He just says, listen, you don't understand, but later you will. Something that's impacted me heavily, I mentioned it a few weeks ago. But as I was on my sabbatical, this text in John 13 kept sitting with me. It was one of those texts I just couldn't get away with, and I found myself constantly praying about it and meditating upon it. And, and, and it was put to me that one of the calls to step into priesthood is to stand in the place of Christ in people's lives, which is a, like, sounds like a deeply arrogant thing to say. And so you realize the, the gospel is constantly calling all of us to that. Step into the place of Christ. And again, my goodness, like how do I step into the place of Christ? Well, the reason we sit so uncomfortably with that is because we start to think about power and authority in terms of what we see in our surrounding world. But what we're seeing here in John 13, this is what it means to step into the place of Christ. To be the serving Christ amongst our neighbors, amongst our friends, amongst our enemies, amongst the people of the world. Like, is the call to be a pastor ultimately to serve a congregation? Is the call as part of a congregation ultimately to serve each other and the world? Like, on a Sunday like this where we have missional partners uh, throughout our congregation and and at the back for you to talk to, next Sunday we're going to gather again and think about how do we live supporting reconciliation between the indigenous people of this land. What does it look like to be a serving people? What does it look like to be Christ in that context? And I think we'll always struggle to answer that question if we insist on thinking that serving is a condescension for us. As long as we think that serving is beneath us and that we're just willing to step down and do it every now and again, we'll always struggle with the Jesus that we meet in the Gospels. Because he doesn't see it as a condescension. He sees it as his purpose. And then he calls us to be like him. You don't understand, Peter, but later you will. Like he takes something small, like washing feet. I mean, think about it. Jesus has just learned that he has all power. Jesus, knowing that he has all power in his hands from the Father, he decides, I'm going to wash 12 people's feet. I mean, it isn't what we would do, is it? If you had all power, I'd do something big and make a big difference. And how often is it that that desire to make a big difference is what stops us from making a small difference? The problem is too big for us to get our heads around, so let's all sit and think about it so that we can try and understand the problem, when actually sometimes maybe Jesus is showing us with all power for these 12 people, I'm going to model something different. What does it look like to model the small where you work, in your street, amongst your neighbors, in your small group, in your community? What does it look like to actually value the small, to serve justice, to pursue wholeness, to do it in small, seemingly insignificant ways? But this is how God has always changed the world. And we see it here in John 13, that all power washing 12 people's feet. And I wonder how often we miss the opportunity to be Jesus in situations because we're just not sure we're going to make a big impact. But how much of that desire for big impact is actually rooted in our own brokenness? That If it's not big and fancy, it doesn't seem right. I challenge you, if you go and talk to the people that are at the back of our room today, representing all of our different missional partners, you'll hear stories of of, of small work that's easily ignored, that's changing people's lives. One of the reasons we love the partners we have is they're not just looking for the big splash, but this is the hard work of turning up daily, of serving, of being Jesus in difficult, complex places where people need to encounter Jesus. Creator God in a towel, modeling for us how to be when things seem overwhelming. And Jesus calls us to trust him, doesn't he? Peter, you don't understand, but later you will. But why don't you just step into this way of being while you don't understand? See, Jesus doesn't put Peter in the corner and say, do revision, but also, what about us? Like, are we sometimes slow to do things if we don't fully understand it? Anselm of Can- Canterbury perhaps helps us in this. where he, he, he brings this phrase, which a lot of you have heard in various different places that what we are on this Christian journey is faith-seeking understanding. Can we trust knowing that we don't fully understand? Peter, you don't understand, but later you will. So what do you do in that gap where you don't understand, and you know that understanding will come, but right now you're in the middle between not understanding and hopefully understanding one day. What do you do when you're in that gap? And for many of us in the modern context, this faith-understanding sort of connection is deeply complex because we prioritize understanding. Right? Like us moderns and postmoderns, like, we love understanding because we are brains with bodies. Like most of us, our body is just a helpful tool to move our brain from room to room. And, uh, and, and think, about, like, think about it. Think about how much we prize our brain that the one thing we fear and know least what to do with is when our brains start to fail us. We don't really know what to do with it. And that's our great fear often because we can fix lots of other things. But what about when our brains start to go And because of this, we struggle with the tension between trust and understanding. How do we behave when we don't understand? What we prefer to do is say, okay, I don't understand Jesus, so I'll just stand over here and figure it out for a while, and once I finally got around to it, then I might engage. But Jesus says to Peter, you don't understand, later you will understand, so what you do right now is just do what you see me doing. Just follow my example. Just lean into what I've asked you to do. It's not very complex. It's not very articulate. It doesn't win philosophy awards. But Jesus seems to be instructing us to realize that we're not always going to understand everything. But when in doubt, just do what you saw Jesus do. I don't know how serving will change the world. I don't know how some of these missional partners will have the impact that they do. Well, maybe it's not our job to understand all the hows. But we can lean into following what Jesus set for us. Perhaps for Jesus, the tension between understanding and action is not as tough as we often think it is. And the church is beautiful when it leans into modeling Jesus. But there's another side to it I've noticed as well. When we prioritize understanding, have you noticed that when we don't understand things as humans, our behavior starts to fall away a little bit? Like we don't behave well when we don't understand things. Think about how many complex things are going on in the world today. And when we don't understand where we're at with it, how do we respond? So if something's going on that you don't understand and you feel a little bit accused by it, have you noticed how quickly we respond with blame? Let's blame somebody else. I feel accused, I'm going to blame somebody else. Or if I don't understand something but it makes me feel threatened, I have a tendency to respond with segregation. Like something's going on here and it makes me uncomfortable. Well, maybe those people should be over here and I'll be over here with them. Or if we're afraid of something we don't understand, how quick we move to violence, physical violence or, or violence of words. We, we have a tendency to speak and act harshly. Or have you noticed how often, if something's going on that's too complex for us to understand at this exact moment, but it makes us feel guilty, how often we respond with anger. Today is the international day of the migrant and the refugee. And just think about Think about that as a social issue. Think about how difficult it is to make sense of what we, what's going on in the world around mi- migration and refugees. And then think about how many people you encounter on your day-to-day life that have very strong opinions about them. And have you noticed how often that strong opinions about what's right and wrong in these places are not always directly connected to fully understanding the problem? Have you noticed this? <laughs> We as humans can speak really authoritatively about things that are beyond us. And it's amazing how humans don't respond well because you'll notice when we don't understand things, we tend to push away, we tend to get angry, we tend to respond poorly. Jesus encounters Peter. Peter doesn't understand what's going on. So what does Peter say to Jesus? You will never wash my feet. There's a statement. (laughs) You will never wash my feet, Peter says. Now, I love this, by the way, because I don't know if you remember At the very start of the text, when Tyson read it for us, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Like what a stunning little part about about this story. So, So here you have Jesus in the story, right? Jesus, his commitment is he is gonna love the disciples to the very end. Peter's commitment is you are never going to wash my feet. Love to the end, never gonna wash my feet. Jesus has chosen to love them by washing their feet. It's like celebrity death match. Jesus versus Peter, right? Okay, who's going to cave? Is Jesus going to stop loving Peter? Or is Peter going to give in and let Jesus wash his feet? Well, it turns out Peter's amazingly strong standoff, you will never wash my feet, one sentence from Jesus, and Peter's like, okay, full bath. (laughs) You know, like he turned around super quick, caved really quickly. It was a slow motion replay of how fast Peter gave up on his position. But isn't it true that we're all like that? I don't understand what's going on. So it's not happening to me. I'm having nothing to do with this. And Jesus comes to us and loves us in his non-anxious way into a different way of being. I said at the start of this three-part series that this text has challenged me over the course of this summer. Through rest, pilgrimage, ordination, this hum of this text inviting me to say, like, what does it look like to be more like Jesus? Perhaps, perhaps it looks like this. To love, to be a non-anxious presence, and to serve. As you go out into your day today, please do go back past our tables of, of all of our mission partners. And reflect on the people that you meet at those tables. And reflect on the missions that they are involved in. And ask yourself if you don't see those same qualities in them that we see in Jesus here in this text, a desire to serve, a desire to engage in things that that are beyond us understanding how ultimately we'll fix it, but we know that Jesus has called us to serve in those places. And perhaps, as they inspire you, as you lean into perhaps personal partnership with them, also ask the question, how do I do the same in my life? What does it look like for me to model myself on the Jesus that I meet here? Would you stand with me and and let us pray together? We're going to end with a responsive prayer rooted in a a passage from Philippians chapter two, which perhaps you know, but it's it's a moment where the early church put into poetic form what we see of Jesus in this passage from John chapter 13. So let us begin by saying this together. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Christ Jesus was in the form of God. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then together, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And so may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and evermore. Go with God's grace and peace upon you. God bless.